I am the vine dresser, and my father is the... Excuse me, let me start over. I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The reading of God's word. Thank you, Dan. Today we're going to talk about missional living. Uh, we've been in a series now on missions. We spent the first uh, series or the first sermon on uh, outreach across the world and heard from our team from the Czech Republic. Last week, Dan brought a message about church planting and how important that is to us. And, and today we're going to talk some about what local mission means, what it looks like in the believer's life, and, and hopefully uh, help us do some of the things John talked about earlier, being more faithful to live more and more on mission day in and day out. Uh, understand in, in our mission strategy, we, we want ongoing relationships and we want them to be as close to us as we can because once someone comes to Christ or, or we have the privilege of seeing someone embrace faith, they need to be trained up and discipled and raised up in the faith. So, so uh, just think relationally and locally, and I get the local part of this message series, so I'm excited about that. Problem with this whole area if you're like me, you look back at your life or you remember going through your life and if you're like me, you struggled with not being as faithful in this area of missions, living missionally, reaching out to lost people as uh, I certainly should have been. I look back over my years of ministry, 30 of them, and my number one regret is that I did not lead our church. Jolene and I together lead our church to a place of greater fruitfulness in this area. That's probably no better... Uh, uh, exemplified in a short story I want to tell you about my, my uh, Jonah tree. Years ago, I was preaching through Jonah, you know, and God sent him as a, as a missionary to the Ninevites, and uh, 
while I was in the midst of that series, one day we had a horrible windstorm. We'd had a professional landscaper redo the front of our house. He'd, Jolene had bought some of these foot-tall foot blue, blue spruce pines many years before. One of them was 30 feet tall, perfectly shaped, beautifully, the, you know, the beautiful light blue color. And he picked that out to be the premier tree at the entrance to our property. And I get this phone call one day, and she says, the wind just blew over our entry tree. And so I race home, tears in my eyes at the loss of this incredibly beautiful tree that's laying out in the middle of the road. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what happened to the tree. We, we were able to pull it up and it lived. But, but as I walked away from that, uh, and, and just the heart-wrenching grief that I had for that tree and whether it was going to live or not, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't look at people that way. I'm more concerned about a tree than I am about the lost who live around me. And, and I don't know if that's true for you. Uh, I think we get so busy at times in life that we, we do lose sight of the people around us who live without Christ and how desperately we need to be reminded of that and to stay focused on mission. Uh, some of it is, you know, you hear a great sermon and, and by uh, the time the Bronco game's over, you, uh, a great sermon on outreach, and by the time the Bronco game's over, you've totally forgotten anything about living missionally that could happen today. Do they play today? I, I don't know. But the reality is life's busy. We, we get caught up in stuff. And then we walk away and we hear another message about it. We feel guilty maybe, or we feel inadequate, ill-prepared. We just don't know how to do this. So Hopefully, we'll give you some things today to maybe think through this a bit more. Uh, God really did a work in Jolene's life and my life a few years ago when we were retired. We were doing discipling uh, many times via Skype in our RV as we were living the retired life. It was sort of retired. But God just, uh, as we were ministering to people, some of them very broken, uh, some church leaders, uh, we would see them get healthy and get strong spiritually and, and, and be at a place where God could use them. And, and our discipling tool ended. <laughs> and so we looked at each other and says, now what? And so that, that, that phrase has been haunting me since, since those days. And, and today I want to talk with you a little bit about what the now what looks like. How, how can we come together as a church and how can we individually live out this reality of... Uh, being faithful to live missionally. Before we get there, though, I want to spend a few moments with you just talking about what, if we're going to reach the lost, we need to know the state of the lost. What is it like to be lost in our, in, you know, we were there, some of us were there, some of us remember it before we came to faith, but what is that like? So I just want to give you a brief uh, remembering glimpse of that, and then we'll jump into John 15. Uh, in order to go share Jesus, we need to know the audience we're sharing him with. <clears throat> so in uh, Ephesians, uh, we read this verse about uh, the, the state of the lost in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I don't know if we're going to have slides today. They didn't come through in the, uh, the, the uh, uh, stuff I sent to the multimedia. These are the words from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you... We're dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is as short and clear and descriptive 
understanding of, of what the lost are like, how they live, how we were before we came to believing faith. First thing it reminds us of is they're spiritually dead. What that simply means is, is we're separated from anything that can possibly give us a glimmer, understanding, uh, uh, spirituality uh, uh, of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We can't know God. We can't walk with God when we're in that state. Something has to happen before we're awakened to that. To be dead spiritually is to be separated from God and the empowering of God. And I lived that way for many years. I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but the reality is we are, we are bound by a sin nature that we inherited from our parents. And, and the reality is we're dead. Uh, we're not sick. We're dead. We don't need resuscitation. We need regeneration. That, that's what the lost need. And only God can provide that. Uh, the text says we're, we were disobedient. The, the very nature of, our, uh, of, of the lost life is that it walks without God. That's where I walked for many years, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince that, that is Satan, the, power, uh, the prince of the power of, of the air, that is him, the spirits that now work in the sons of disobedience. So disobedience characterized my life, characterizes the life of the lost because they don't know how. They can't understand what God asks of us, what God desires for us, uh, how to receive and, and uh, how to live in gratefulness to, to the mercy, grace, and goodness of God. Uh, you know, when God uh, laid out that one command to Adam in the garden, he said, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they ate of it and they died. And from them, this sin nature has been transmitted to all. Uh, all are brought under this. David himself says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in Psalm 51.3, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, so understand this. People who are lost sin because they are sinful by nature. They don't uh, uh, sin uh, as a result. Uh, I mean, sinning doesn't make them sinners. They are by nature sinners. We'll see this in a moment in John 3.18. But they're, they're also guided by the desires and passions of their mind. It says, uh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This theologians would call the state of depravity. It doesn't mean they're as wicked as they could be. It just means they do not know how to please God or to glorify God or to live for God. And, and so it means their life, my life was totally focused on myself. I, I've shared this from this pulpit before. Uh, for 25 years of my life, I never once asked the question, I wonder what would please God. That was not in my mind or heart or vocabulary. That's what it means to be lost. Blinded to what would please God. Blinded to what would honor God. That is what it means to be depraved. It doesn't mean those people don't do good things. Jesus said that even lost people do good things in Luke 6.33. These people are also doomed and were by nature, the text says, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. A glaring text that relates to this is John 3.18. It says, whoever believes in him, that is in Jesus, is not condemned. That's the gospel. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, from the point of birth, uh, at the age of then accountability, all who do not enter into a saving relationship with Christ are children of disobedience, and they live facing the wrath of God. They're objects of God's wrath because of their disobedience and rejection of God and His truth. And so that's what 
the lost face. And those are the people God has put us on this planet to try to reach with his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And Paul goes right into that in verse 4. He says, but God. Remember, that's the phrase Dan wants to get his next tattoo, but God. And that's where this passage really leads us to the truth and the glory of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our uh, trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the gospel. Lost people can't save themselves. The only way they can be saved is by hearing and being loved into an understanding and a belief in Jesus and the gospel. Uh, and, and God is the primary author of that work in their lives. And we'll talk about that more later. But God wants them to, to be saved. He's provided the way for them to have salvation. It's his love, mercy, and grace that provide that. So with that background, let's, let's jump uh, into, Ephes- or into John 15, verses uh, 1 and 2. Uh, what I want to do is, is set kind of the table for you in regard to this passage and understanding spiritually what fruit is. He says, uh, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser, vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Understand, the grapevine in itself is an incredibly prolific plant. And in the Old Testament, Israel was a a, a symbol, kind of a, a picture of Israel was to be God's vineyard and produce God's fruit. And the problem is they didn't. They produced just rotten fruit. Uh, And so we come to this passage in the New Testament where Jesus uh, helps us understand God's true plan and purpose for the fulfillment of his work among men to to bring as many as possible to saving faith. And so Jesus calls himself here the true vine. I'm the true vine. God is doing his true work through me, not ancient Israel, because they failed so miserably. And and there's many reasons for that. We don't have time to get into it. Talk to me if you want to know more. Understand that the father was the vine dresser. He, he was the one that superintended the vineyard and, and sought to see it become fruitful. And, and Jesus is his plan for seeing that happen. And, and understand, fruit, you can't in your mind scripturally divorce fruit from harvest. Uh, in, in the scriptures, when we talk about harvest, we're talking about fruit that is mature and ripe and coming forth. Paul used this phrase in Romans 1.13. He said that I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because many people read uh, John 15 and many commentaries limit the scope of that passage to the production of spiritual fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, etc., etc. And I believe this passage speaks far beyond that. It, it speaks to the internal fruit of righteousness bearing external fruit in the lives of people who need Jesus. So, so see, Paul understood that. I have often intended to come to you in order that you may reap, that, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He wasn't looking to produce love, joy, and peace in them initially. He was reaching them with the gospel. He wanted to see them uh, hear and understand and embrace the truth of why Jesus came to this earth. 
Jesus himself said this same thing uh, in, in the, the, the passage where he's interacting with the Samaritan woman after she left. He says, do you not say there are four months Yet, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the one who... I'm sorry, I I missed a line. There are yet... Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. Who who, who is he looking at? Was he looking at Jews or, or Christians? No, he was looking at Samaritans, the most despised people on the planet. And he was looking at them as a place to see God's harvest reap great fruit. He goes on to say, already one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the soil that reaps may rejoice together. So understand as we make our way through this passage, fruit in view here is both the inward fruit that comes from growing in Christ, we talk about that all the time here, but also going in Christ to proclaim the gospel to the world. Jesus gets into it a little bit here when he talks about this idea of pruning. And and he says simply that every branch that doesn't produce fruit is cut off. And then he says, every branch that does produce fruit is pruned. And this is where Julian and I lived for many years as we, well, a number of years, as we worked at discipling people, we helped them learn how to discover the sin in their life, confess it, turn away from it by the empowering of God, and live a more fruitful life. So that's what the pruning is about, I believe, in this passage. We all have sin in our lives. We all struggle. We sometimes have the wrong objectives, the wrong goals, all those kinds of things. I I read this description of pruning, and I think it's very, very helpful. Pruning focuses the growth and energy of the plant. Any of you who garden know that. God's pruning of our lives can be painful. He may limit or remove achievements, objectives, and abilities... These may not be wrong in themselves, but God knows they will detract from our fruitfulness. We must not resent God's pruning in that way. Instead, God's discipline in these ways is that we might be fruitful for Him in our lives as well as reaching those who desperately need Him. Moving on to verse 3, it says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The great truth of this passage is is how, bottom line is, and I'm going to say it as clearly as I can, without Christ, without a growing dynamic relationship with Christ, we can't bear fruit. We, We need to be growing in the vine. His life needs to be infused in us, and I'll talk more about that in, in, in a bit, but, but the idea is we must abide. We must continue to abide. The word here for abide or remain, it, it, it's a verb. It's an imperative. It's say you must continue day by day to abide in Jesus, in the vine, the true vine, and then fruit will come forward. It's a once-for-all decision on our parts to live in close proximity to Jesus. And we'll explain that a bit in, 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 in a few moments. But, but it means to believe the gospel, to live that gospel in community with each other because we encourage each other, we strengthen each other, we love each other, all those things happen. And then we can go and share our faith with others because we've been, been empowered by being part of a believing community. 
The branch can't produce fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. It, we must learn absolute dependence on Jesus and, and the power of the gospel within us. He goes on to explain this a bit further. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And understand the progression from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. This is a journey we all undergo from, from initial salvation and we begin to bear fruit. As we grow and, and, and become more uh, faithful to him, we abide more, we, we produce more fruit and then eventually much fruit. So understand that growth is progressive in that way. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is more, uh, not so much a a warning and admonition uh, as it is an encouragement to stay abiding in him, to stay attached. God God has given us everything we need in Christ to be fruitful, to, to, to have that inner uh, radiant fruitfulness in Christ that, that manifests itself in fruit and love, but also to have the power to go proclaim the gospel. So it, it, it's to help us understand we have an incomprehensible resource if we just abide in Him. That's the message. The warnings here are, are to stay abiding, stay connected, stay drawing deeply on uh, Jesus in your life, and the fruit will come. You know, an interesting thing about a, a, a grapevine, I'm told, is you can tear the grapevine off of a, or cut it off the, the vine, and it will still produce foliage, but it will never produce fruit. Isn't it interesting Jesus would take that as, as the analogy for our lives? He goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, and these to me are, are some of the key verses in this passage. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, and you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He, he's talking here about his words. Jesus gave his words to us. This book is filled with his words. And I, I'm talking about the word of God in totality, but also Jesus' specific and clear and precise words. And So what is abiding? Abiding means that we take in his word. We allow his word to do what it's intended to do in our lives, to renew and transform our thinking and our believing. So the first aspect of remaining abiding in Christ is to take in the word of God, Jesus' words, and to believe the gospel at its core. What's the second aspect of abiding? It's when these words work in our lives and change our lives and cause us more and more to be conformed to live and act and think and and, and relate to our world as Jesus does. The first is to have the mind of Christ and the, the next, that's the gospel believed. The next is the gospel lived. Are we living the way Jesus calls us to live? Here, here's just a few examples. As we study and understand his teaching Are we learning what we're called to do to honor Him and to give Him glory? Are we learning how we should respond when harsh situations come to us in life? Disease, death, attacks, whatever. Are we learning how to love others even when they don't love us back? Those are the things that need to be taught and and, and applied to our lives through His Word. 
Do we understand and know from Him how to submit to the Father? Do we know how to stay pure in our lives? This is the gospel lived. It's belief driven down so it's manifest in our lives by living for His glory and living in a way that will bring honor to Him and make us impactful in the world around us. The text says kind of in the middle here before I finish up this abiding thing, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit. Understand prayer is, a, is an intimate part of this relationship of abiding in Christ. It's drawing on Him. God, change me and God use me. You know, at our, uh, I need to confess this to you at our little gathering over at the park. I was so trying to communicate a message that I think I said this. I was told I did, and, and I believe it because I believe the person said it to me, that I, uh, I said to pray for unsafe people is heresy. If I said that and you heard that, forgive me. What, what, I, what I want us to, to learn to pray is God change me and use me to reach them. Uh, in some ways... To just pray somehow God would magically or someone else would magically reach your next door neighbor when you live right there? That's odd to me. We should be over there loving them, serving them, do what we can to exemplify the gospel in our lives, prove the truth of the gospel to them in our lives. So pray, God, use me to, to, to share the gospel, to touch lives around me. God, change me to where I would do that. That's... that's beginning to live missionally and beginning to live outwardly. He goes on to, 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 to talk about all those things. This proves we're his disciples. And when we begin to live that way, I, I believe more and more we prove the truth of the gospel. We're living as Jesus did. We're living uh, in part for the sake of those who don't know him. This week, uh, I had my 50, I can't believe I'm telling you this, I had my 50th anniversary from veterinary school graduating, 1960. That's a long, long time ago. There were a lot of old men there, trust me. <laughs> but uh, one of my classmates who, uh, I mean, he, he was, he, they know I'm a preacher. They know I come to Christ. It's been in newsletters over the years. And he came up to me face to face, and he wanted to go and debate creationism with me. How can you believe, uh, you know, in a young earth, yada, 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 yada. And I just stood there and let him do his thing. And then I said simply two things. One, Don, I know a God who is fully capable of creating an earth with age. Adam and Eve were mature adults when they were created. The earth was fully functional when it was created. The earth had age. So I don't have any problem with that. And secondly, Don, I don't want to debate creation. I want to know Jesus. <laughs> so in, in your view of your spiritual life, wherever you're at with that journey, how do you deal with your sin and your guilt? What does Jesus mean to you? You know, and, and I said those things not because I'm special or whatever, because the Spirit of God used me. I'm going to try to follow up with him and see where it goes. But there are people out there like that. I wasn't offensive. I didn't get angry. I didn't cuss him out. I didn't do anything. I just said, hey, I know God's capable of doing that, but I really want to know Jesus. I don't want to debate creation. I want to know Jesus. And that's what abiding is. And, 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 and to, to, to begin to live in a way that the gospel radiates through our lives. And then he goes on to say, 
but my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And, and you know, the reality, the fourth thing about abiding is that we're going to go tell. We're going to go proclaim. We can believe the gospel. We need to live the gospel. We need to prove the gospel day in and day out as we draw close and abide in Jesus. Then we need to go tell people about him, proclaim him. And, and to me, the core of Ephesians 15, or uh, excuse me, shouldn't have started with Ephesians. The, the core of John 15 is, is this great truth of abiding in him. The rest of the passage here really deals with love. I'm going to read it uh, and, and just, just say a few things about it and then jump into some application. As a father has loved me, seven times it mentions love here. As a father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abided in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Love is, is the core essence of abiding in Christ, that it, we manifest the love of God, the love God has poured into us, to those around us, first and foremost, our family, our believing community, and then those who live around us without faith in Christ, that they might see his love. God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only begotten son. And, and we need to live with that kind of life that, that's willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others, to consistently and manifestly drink deeply in the love of God so that we're, we're literally pouring out His love to those around us. You know, this is just another way of, of uh, expounding on the, the uh, new commandment Jesus gave His disciples just before this in the upper room. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then the important part, you know, for us in regard to this message in missional living is this statement he next says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. They're watching. They're looking to see how we respond. Are we so full of Jesus, so captivated by his word and our thoughts, in our beliefs and, and, and in the actual ways uh, that we live, that we radiate his love, his mind, his love, his life. You know, he gives us the empowerment to love. He, he can heal people of deep selfishness. He healed me of it. I'm not perfect yet, but, but I think if you'd grab Jolene in the corner, you'd find out I'm a little bit more concerned for her than I was 50 years ago when we married. I was totally selfish then. But God in his grace empowers us to love others and, and to turn away from our selfishness. The, he, he cures crippling guilt in our lives. I could tell you stories about what he's done through, through the ministry he's privileged us to be a part of, but we don't have time. 
he, he empowers us uh, to be patient and concerned for others. So we could go on and on. He, he gives us the strength of each other in, in community. So what's really being worked out here are these things we talk about all the time at WCC. We, we talk about knowing Christ, uh, uh, growing in intimacy with God, growing deeper and encountering God in His Word. That, that's what it means to abide, to, to work out the one another's in loving community and to build relationships with outsiders. It's, it's all right here in this passage. And, and I just want to give you a few thoughts uh, with this last, it's not the last verse in the passage, but it's the one that's gripped my heart. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And then my Father will give you whatever you ask for in prayer. This verse in my mind is now attached and will never be separated from the great commission to go and make disciples. He's called us and chosen us as his people and appointed us to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. I don't know how much life I have left. I'm 74 years old. But I want this to mark my life. That I'm bearing fruit for him. It's all I want to do is reach people with the gospel. People that are lost without him. Uh, pray for us that God would use us and continue doing what he's doing in us and that we would see, relate to people in this way. <laughs> Understand the needs of the lost. Abide in Jesus. And then go. I'm going to just give you a few things to think about this week. First, first I want to encourage you with four things by way of application. First, I want us to remember things about this spiritual uh, endeavor of going. The first thing is given to us in 2 Peter 3.9, and it says there, The Lord is not slow in fulfilling His promises, some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the heart of God. He so loved this world, meaning all people who live without him, as well as us. He loves them. And he's done all he's going to do to reach them in Christ. Jesus told us in uh, Matthew 9.37 that the harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, the harvest is as plentiful today as it was in the day Jesus spoke those words. I believe we live in a world where people are desperate for spiritual truth. They're hungry. They're, they're living in despair and hopelessness. I believe we live in that world. I think there's resistance to the gospel for sure, but if we approach them in a the right way, perhaps we can break through some of those barriers, but understand that. and Why I believe that is true that the harvest is still abundant is because of the work of the Spirit in the world today. 
In John 16, 8 through 11, the word says, And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world. Understand, the Holy Spirit now has a ministry to unbelievers in our world. People today who live without Christ. This is his ministry. He will convict them. I think one of the fallacies we've raised up in the church is, you go out and share your faith and, and, and you beat them over the head until they believe. Nothing could be further from biblical truth. The Spirit of God is bringing conviction to people in this world about their sin, their righteousness, and the coming judgment. And how much or whatever part of that they know, that is God's work in their life. And they are out there. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10, I've endured all of these things, speaking of the suffering and the hardships of his life for the sake of the elect. He knew that there are people, there are people in Windsor, Colorado, whom the Spirit of God is bringing conviction to. They just need somebody to approach them that understands and knows Jesus. So know that. God is at work. We don't go out there alone. We just go out there and harvest the fruit that he's raising up in the lives of even unbelievers. Know as well that uh, many, many people in the church today live without any relationships with unbelievers. It's so warm and comfy and good to be here with each other most of the time when we don't tick each other off. Uh, but literally, we're drawn to each other. And it's warm, it's safe, it's comfortable. And for that reason, many, many, many believers do not have one unsafe friend or relationship in their lives. I want to encourage you to look at the various aspects of your life, your work life, your recreational life, uh, your, your neighborhood life, and, and identify people in that, those various spheres of your life that may not know Jesus. And be willing to begin to reach out to them and establish a relationship with them. Be vulnerable and transparent with them. Let them know you're a follower of Christ. Let them know why you back out of your driveway every Sunday morning. Let them know you go to church. Once in a while, say, thank the Lord. You know, we had new neighbors that drove in and, and, or moved into us next door. And I was trying to, they were telling us a little bit about their background. And I'm thinking... How can I work the gospel, or at least that I'm a Christian in their lives? We've been living in the basement with our parents for like the last nine months. We're really ready to get into a house. And I said, isn't that interesting? We just sent missionaries to Nigeria who had lived in the basement of their parents. Uh, they're part of our church. So, I mean, there's so many ways you can work your faith into a discussion and not be offensive. And just let them know you're, where you're coming from. Joseph Aldridge, many years ago, wrote a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. And he said in that book, this one great truth. If you let people know, if you go public with your faith, you let them know you're a follower of Christ and they don't turn away from you, shut you down, cuss you out, whatever, God will use you in their life. You can take that to the bank if they stay open to you. So reach out to them. Let them know you're a follower of Christ. Build a relationship with them. Ask them about their spiritual journey if the opportunity comes up. Tell me a little about your spiritual journey. That's not confrontational. If they don't want to talk about it, fine, say, hey, no problem. If, they, if they're open and they start sharing some things and you don't hear anything that relates to the Christian life, say, hey, do you have any interest? Would you ever have any interest maybe in learning a little bit more about who Jesus is, what he said, what he claimed, what he did? If they say yes, 
then say, would you be willing to maybe sit down once a week and we'll read John's gospel together and we can uh, see what Jesus claimed about himself. We can see uh, what he did from God's word. You don't have to share the gospel. John's gospel brings the, brings the gospel up about four or five times in the first two or three chapters. It's there. As you go, I, I want you to think this as well. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and you may know this, you may have seen it, Jesus said this to the disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And at the end he says, and surely I will be with you always. I want you to know and understand this. We go with Jesus' authority. All of it in heaven and earth. That's better authority than anybody on the planet could ever have. Go in my authority. He says also, but you'll receive the Spirit. He will give you power and you'll be my witnesses. But when you receive the Spirit, He will give you power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, etc. Understand as well, that's Acts 1.8. Understand as well there's an urgency in this whole process. As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. There is an urgency to this mission. So what do we do? I want to encourage you to do four things in relationship to anybody in your sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus. Number one, pray for them. There, there is a spiritual blindness put there by the enemy. Read 2 Corinthians 4, 2 through 4. And no one will come to Christ except the Father draw him. Pray those things for these individuals. God, remove the blindness from their eyes. Use me in any way you can, God, to help with that process. Lord, draw them to yourself. So pray for them. Love them. Pour out this love that, that abiding in Christ empowers us to share. Ask him, be willing to read John's gospel. Lay down one hour of your life a week to read John's gospel with somebody that would like to know more about Jesus and answer any questions they may have. You don't have to answer them on the spot. You know, I'll give you Dan's phone number. You can call him. Any question they have, he'll be able to answer. <laughs> so, so what's the problem, the fear? I, I, I'm making light of this, but, but I want you to understand it. Love them, pray for them, be willing to read God's word with them and allow the spirit of God to draw them to himself. And just sit on the sidelines and watch. There is nothing more exciting. And answer any questions they have. That's it. I'm now ready to start my third individual down this path. The highlight of my week is meeting with the one guy that I'm meeting with right now. And the highlight of my week will be when the next guy starts. No pressure. Read the word. Pray. Love. Answer questions. Chris? Let me pray while Chris comes. Give him a minute. God, oh Lord, help us to rethink this whole idea of sharing our faith, of living on mission. And make it a daily thing. Lord, as we leave our homes in the morning, let us, let us just be thinking about people who are in our sphere of influence. Maybe they're at work. Maybe they're uh, at school, maybe there's some other place where we frequent on a regular basis that don't know you. Uh, God, I pray you'd give us boldness to engage them and
talk with them about their spiritual journey, whether or not they have any interest in knowing Jesus. Father, if they don't, just say, hey, if you change your mind, get a hold of me and look for the next person. Uh, Lord, there, may be, there are many, you say, who are spiritually hungry. Guide us in this process, we pray, for your glory, honor, and praise. May we abide in Jesus. May we be filled up with your righteousness, your love, your glory inwardly, and may we live that truth, those same things outwardly to all those around us. We thank you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.